Okay, I am so glad there's lots of talking going on. I see people as I walk around introducing yourself to new people that you're sitting at the table with. Um, like I said upstairs, this is number eight. Sometimes I got a little confused this morning. I know it seems like, but eight. And I hope, I hope this whole series that you have met somebody new, okay? If you haven't met somebody new, you have one more week after this week to meet somebody new. But introduce yourself um, to the table. Make sure you know who you're sitting with today. And then here's your question to talk about. And this is the main thing. I really want you guys to kind of talk a little bit. In our culture today, when we talk about forgiveness, maybe what is your um, view of it? What have you seen the church talk about? Maybe what your family, what you have seen um, in your area of your um, experience, um, circumstances, and what forgiveness looks like. And then we're going to dive in with um, David in just a little bit. So talk about that around your table, and we'll be back. Okay. We're going to bring it back. So I had you talk about forgiveness and what it looks like, maybe what the church taught you, maybe what your parents taught you. And um, one of the, thir- the thoughts I had as I thought about this, David, was it's to say, well, you cannot hear me. Okay, can you hear me now? Okay, so everybody, we have to tone it down. Yeah, okay. So one of the things that I thought of when I think of this question of what the church taught you, what your parents taught you, is that forgiveness means I am sorry, and that's about it. You know, yeah. I'm sorry, David. I'm sorry. That's good. Yeah, We're you, good. You are sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, um, I want to, yes, I wanted to, um, I just want to bring this thought to you. And this is even what I said um, to David as he came up here, that if you're sitting here and you are human and you relate to other humans, guess what? This applies to you right? To all relationships. And so I'm just really excited to have David here. As we introduced him before, you are the um, director of Michiana Biblical Counseling Center. And yeah. so I've met David through a lot of different things, through ECA, and his, um, his wife teaches at ECA, and then uh, just through the Biblical Counseling Center and your partnership here at Walkie. So w- we are going to dive in, but remember, you can still ask questions and send them to us, and we will talk about it. David's going to present, and then we're going to sit down, Chris and I, with him and ask some questions live time questions, just text it over, something that he said that you might have a question about. And just so you guys know that if your question's a little harder to answer in like two or three minutes, we take it to the podcast. So you can always um, loop in there and get your answer to the podcast. And so that's a, um, at the, on the podcast. So David, you are the MBCC executive director. Tell me about these people that I see in this picture. Okay, that's my family. That was about a year and a half ago at my uh, aunt's funeral. We were in Cedar Falls, Iowa, so we had the whole family together for that. From the left, uh, moving to the right, it's uh, uh, Katie and Nate. Nate's my son, and their daughter, Nora, and then their son is standing by my wife, Sue. That's Luca. Then there's Sue, myself, my daughter, Nikki, her husband, Oliver, and then my son, Austin, is on the far right. And that's a family, but it says minus one. And the reason why there's a minus one, we need to advance the... Um, the yeah, because we added one. The, the guy with the pumpkins there, that is Nikki and Oliver's uh, son, Micah. He was born in October of 2020. 
And then, of course, that's Nora and Luke enjoying themselves at Vanilla Bean in Elkhart. And then, of course, Sue is the ultimate Nana. And so that's my wife with the three grands. So that makes up the Hills family. Yes. So we welcome him this morning. Yes. And Sue, she's here with him. Um, Sue teaches uh, preschool at ECA, so that's how um, Sue and uh, has gotten to know our family and our kids, known them um, for a lot of years um, through ECA. So David, I want to just dive in here. You're going to take over here, and then we're going to come back um, with some questions and answers, but let's just pray. Let's open our hearts this morning as um, he's going to share what biblical forgiveness is all about. Dear Lord, this morning we come, we sit at these tables, we're next to people that we know, we, we have relationships outside of here, Lord, and, and all of that sometimes because we live in this fallen world, it's struggle. We struggle with relationships, we struggle in um, marital parenting, co-workers, family, Lord, and so this morning speak to each one of us where each one of us are at. Holy Spirit, come and minister to our hearts Men broken hearts, give us insight into actions that we are to take um, following this time. Lord, and bless our um, the words that come from David's mouth. May we know that um, you are here and you have work to do in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, it's really good to be here this morning, and it's really good to be here for more than just uh, one reason. Not 10 days ago, I was in Elkar General Hospital having surgery done on me. I had esophagus or hiatal hernia surgery and a surgery called TIF where they repaired the valve from my esophagus to my stomach. So I'm just really glad to be anywhere today. Um, I am the new reduced version of Dave Hills. They had me go on a diet to prepare for the surgery. I could only have protein shakes for two weeks. And then for two weeks after that, nothing but liquids. So I've been doing nothing but liquids for the past three weeks, and it's changed me. Um, but I want to just say a thank you. Who, who made the grape juice? That grape juice was awesome. I was feeling kind of a little dizzy this morning, and that grape juice did miracles for me. Uh, so whoever did that, you're wonderful. MVP right back there. All right, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, the title of this um, lesson is Biblical Forgiveness, a Must-Have for Healthy Relationships. So that raises a natural question. Why is biblical forgiveness a must-have for healthy relationships? And as Angie said, it's because relationships produce situations where forgiveness is needed. In any relationship, there's some givens. In any relationship, we're going to have sinners interacting with other sinners in a world that's broken by sin. What could go wrong, right? Sinners interacting with sinners in a broken world, that's a recipe for conflict. Because when sinners interact with other sinners, we know what's going to happen. They're going to sin, correct? And when you sin, it's done in a variety of ways. We might say and do things that are hurtful. We might fail to care for people in a way that's needed or desired by that person. We might fail to keep promises. How many of you have been the victim of a failed promise? A promise not kept. We might act selfishly. 
At my home when I was growing up in Cedar Falls, Iowa, we had six children and my mom, for some reason, always made seven of whatever it was. And after we'd had our one, you know what was happening. Six people were vying for that seventh item and selfishness was rampant in the Hills home. Well, with every sin we commit, we do damage to the relationships around us, and God's provided a solution. It's a wonderful solution. It's called biblical forgiveness. If we fail to use that God-given solution, that's why it's so important for us to be here today. If we fail to use that God-given solution, some negative things are going to happen. We'll experience a number of additional problems like bitterness. People no longer talking to each other. And this is a huge room full of a lot of different people. And I'm sure that in a group this size, you could say, yeah, there are people that aren't talking to me anymore. Or if you were honest with me, you might say, and actually there's some people I'm not talking to anymore because we haven't dealt with some things. Problems go unaddressed, unresolved. There's division between people. People take sides. I'm with her. I'm with him. I'm with neither of them. And additional sinful responses can take place if we don't use the God-given solution to forgiveness. But most important is this, and this is a verse that we talk about all the time at Michiana Biblical Counseling Center. What are we here on this earth for? Who can just shout out an answer? What are we on this earth for? What's our mission? What's our primary mission? Honor God. Love people. Spread the gospel. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. Whether you eat or drink, and so there's some eating and drinking going on right now, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. God's not glorified when that biblical solution of forgiveness has been given to him and we don't practice it. Well, I had a powerful exposure to biblical forgiveness when I was about 23 years old. My wife and I worked at the Campus Bible Fellowship House at the University of Northern Iowa. And as part of that house, we had people living upstairs above us. And one day, one of those guys, Tim, came to me and said, Dave, I just need to share some things that are going on in my life. Some things he was struggling with, and he was kind of a shy, backward person. And it took a lot for him to come to talk to me. He shared those things and just a couple hours later, I was in a conversation with someone else that was involved in that house. And I foolishly shared, yeah, Tim's going through some stuff. He's really struggling with this. And that person, without my knowledge, went to Tim's and said, hey, Tim, Dave just shared these things. I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. I care for you. It didn't take long, and Tim was at my doorstep, and he was having a conversation. And it was a confrontation and it went something like this. And this was 38 years ago. So it was, it was powerful because I remember it 38 years later. Tim just said, it took a lot for me to come to talk to anybody about that thing. And I trusted you. And within hours of sharing that confidential information from you, 
you shared it with this person. And I know you had good intentions in doing it, but I didn't give you permission to do that, and I don't know if I can trust you anymore. At that moment, I was faced with a very difficult decision, but it wasn't actually too difficult. I knew what I needed to do. He had confronted me with my sin, and I said to him, Tim, I am so sorry. You are absolutely right. What I did was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And he forgave me. And we've been friends ever since then. But that was my first personal powerful exposure to the idea of seeking and granting forgiveness. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's why it's so near and dear to my heart. Because it's a command from God. It's given to us. But it also works. And it mends relationships. It helps heal things that have been broken um, by our actions. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a lot of different questions about biblical forgiveness that I believe need to be answered. And the first is this. Why is the must-have of biblical forgiveness so often missing in relationships? If it's truly a must-have, why don't we have it? Why is it gone? Why is it gone so often? Why is it missing so often from our relationships? And in your notes, I've put six reasons. The first reason is this. It's rarely modeled. It's difficult to do something that we haven't seen modeled. Modeling is an incredibly important thing in this world. Paul said in Philippians 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Later on in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul is again saying, be imitators as, of me as I am of Christ. Imitation is something we do, and if we don't have forgiveness modeled, how do we imitate it? Many people, and we were talking at the table, and you were talking at your tables, many people have never truly experienced what it looks like for a person to seek forgiveness and a person to grant forgiveness. I hear it in the counseling room all the time. Actually, that's an exaggeration. At MBCC, we don't use 100% words. It doesn't happen all the time. It happens frequently, okay? It happens frequently. I ask them, what was your experience of forgiveness in your home? And they look at me blankly. Didn't happen. Just didn't happen. And I can relate to that. I was raised in a really good home, went to church, learned about Jesus every single Sunday. But in our home, the actual saying, will you forgive me? Yes, I'll forgive you. It never took place. Oftentimes it was like the word Angie, sorry. Say you're sorry. Sorry. Isn't that sincere? Doesn't that just make you all warm and tingling? That's how you restore relationships. Sorry. <laughs> and sometimes I did what I, sometimes just like I rudely did to Angie, yeah, you are sorry. Um, yeah. Or actually the Hills way was a very prideful way. If someone said something and we knew that they were right, we knew we'd done wrong, you didn't admit that you did it. You just tried to do better in the future. 
But you weren't going to humble yourself and say, you're right, I was wrong, I sinned against you. It's like, they're right, I don't want to tell them, but I, I'll, I'll show them. And that was the most that was done in the Hills home. And that's a far cry from the pattern that God has given us. Well, the second reason why forgiveness is missing is it's not understood. We don't understand what forgiveness should look like. And we, we don't know how to seek forgiveness. We don't really know how to grant forgiveness because it hasn't been modeled and it hasn't been taught. And that's why I'm so thrilled that this church has set aside an entire session to talk about this subject. It's not talked about very often because it's kind of uncomfortable. And I applaud Angie and Chris and the rest of the staff for putting this on the list of topics that needs to be talked about. A third reason why forgiveness is missing is it requires humility. In our pride, it's not fun opening up about our sinful behaviors and to actually seek forgiveness. In our pride, we refuse to take that step of asking forgiveness. It's extremely humbling to come up to someone and say, hey, I just, I need to talk to you. I, I've sinned against you. How many of you remember the show Happy Days? Okay. What are the three words the Fonz had a really hard time saying? Anybody remember? I was wrong. Now, did he say wrong? No. And you're just watching the TV wanting to just stop it. Just say the word. But that's a word in his pride. He couldn't bring himself to say, I was wrong because the Fonz was never wrong. Okay? It's especially humbling, though, to own up to our sins when we're owning up to sins to a person who's also sinned against us. Well, I'll do it, but they, go, they need to go first. Or, I don't need to go to them. They hurt me way more than I did them. Fourth reason why it's missing is we want the offender to pay. How many of you can relate to this? Raise your hand if you can relate to this. I'd like the offender to pay. Oh, you liars. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) There's a part of us that wants them to pay. Our flesh and our self-centeredness makes us want to hold on to our hurts rather than forgive. And we want to be able to go back and and remind that person of what they've done against us. And so we don't want to let go of that. And that viewpoint can lead to bitterness. And we're going to talk about the dangers of bitterness later. But bitterness has been compared to drinking poison, expecting it to hurt the other person. And I love that illustration. Bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting it to hurt the other person. And in the end, all it does is hurt yourself. Fifth reason why we uh, too often see, uh, see forgiveness as missing is that we see forgiveness as optional. We see forgiveness as optional, but is it really, is it really optional? See, sometimes we think that we look at uh, forgiveness sometimes as a favor. It's an optional favor that we can choose to do for someone or not to do for someone. It's kind of up to us. But the key verse that we're going to look at over and over and over this morning 
says it's anything but optional. And I think I have it on the screen coming up. And I'd like you to just read this out loud for me. Let's read it together. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. One last reason why forgiveness is too often missing is we don't fully grasp God's forgiveness of us. We're going to talk about it more later, but until we truly and fully grasp how God has forgiven us, we're going to struggle to forgive others. So we're going to take a look at forgiveness and ask four very important questions. As I do, I want to give you a heads up. My focus is going to be entirely on what the Word of God says. As I do that, there will be times when you squirm and you might say, but, but, you can text that number and send those but questions to Angie, okay? (laughs) What if, what if? Uh, You can ask those questions to her too. Just make her, make her text, just start rolling. But I'm just going to simply say, this is what the word of God says. These are the instructions that God has given. And we will address those questions in the Q&A, as Angie said, or the podcast. Well, the first question I want to ask is this. What is forgiveness? If we're going to talk about biblical forgiveness, it would be a good idea to understand it, wouldn't it? Forgiveness, first of all, is a response that has been modeled by our God. Again, back to the verse that we just read together. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. While it's quite possible that forgiveness was not truly modeled in your home or my home, it may not be modeled in your current situation that you're in, but it has been modeled by God. Forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, has been modeled by our Father. So if you say, I don't know what that looks like, you need to look no farther than at your God. Well, I want to have you do some table talk right now. And in your notes, here's the question. What words would you use to describe God's forgiveness of you? Just share around your table, and we'll come back in two or three minutes. What words would you use to describe God's forgiveness of you? Okay, I think we're getting into a place where you can share with me some of those words. What are some of the words that you use to describe God's forgiveness of you? Just shout them out. Never-ending. Undeserved. Pardon? Complete? (laughs) Pardoned? Yeah! (laughs) Sorry! Oh no, please forgive me. (laughs) Okay. What others? Unconditional. Limitless. All those words, how does that make you feel? 
Doesn't that just blow you away at the love that your God has for you? Because no offense against you, this is for me too. We're wretches. We've done very little that he desired for us to do, yet he forgives us with that kind of love, and that's the kind of forgiveness that he calls us to do. We're to forgive as God in Christ forgave us. So as you think of those words, it's like, now apply them. My forgiveness is limitless, unconditional, extravagant. That's the kind of love that God wants us to show. Well, we're talking about what is forgiveness now. Forgiveness defined. It's good to have a definition of forgiveness. And I want to just put in a plug for a book. A good friend of Sue's and mine, uh, Chris Brunts, wrote a book called Unpacking Forgiveness. He used to live in Elkhart, worked at Miles Laboratories when that was the name of it. And then he went away to seminary and He at one time was a person that I was mentoring. Now he's far surpassed me, and I'm just trying to chase after him. But he's written a book published by Crossway Books called Unpacking Forgiveness. And essentially, here's the story behind the book. He had built a church as a church planter and worked like crazy along with his wife for five years or three years, I think, building a church up to 500 people. And the month before it was supposed to go independent and he was going to be the pastor of that church, the church was taken away from him and put in someone else's hands. That was a tough situation. And he had to go into the scriptures and find out, what does this forgiveness thing look like? How do I live it out? What is it? What is it not? And he wrote an excellent book on biblical forgiveness. And he has a definition of forgiveness. And again, I would like you to read this definition with me. Forgiveness is a commitment by the offended person to pardon graciously the repentant person from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. Now, that's a jam-packed definition, and we're going to be bouncing back and forth with it. But it's a commitment by the offended person to pardon graciously the repentant person for moral liability to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences necessarily be eliminated. Forgiveness is also a transaction, and this is Perhaps the most important statement of the morning, because we sometimes don't understand it. The transaction that I'm talking about is pictured in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the transaction that takes place. We come to God repentant, confessing our sins, admitting that we've sinned against our holy God. And what does he do? He forgives. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the words of 
Psalm 103 are lived out as far as the east is from the west. So far have I removed your transgressions from you. That's what God does. So the transaction is is written in your notes. A repentant offender humbly and biblically seeks forgiveness for the sins they've committed against the offended. The offended individually, individual graciously forgives and pardons the offender and the broken relationship is restored. Now in your notes, I believe I wrote something about therapeutic forgiveness. That's a term that Chris Bronce came up with. And basically the idea of therapeutic forgiveness is that I try to forgive someone even though they haven't sought my forgiveness or they're no longer capable of asking forgiveness because they've gone. I just want to tell you that that's not the biblical pattern of forgiveness. Biblical pattern of forgiveness, it's a transaction between the person seeking forgiveness and granting forgiveness. Now, are we supposed to be in a position where we desire to offer that forgiveness or wish we could have given that forgiveness? Absolutely. That should be our heart. In fact, if someone has offended you, you should be looking forward to, oh God, I'm looking forward to that time when I can give them that gift of forgiveness. Please give me that opportunity. Forgiveness is something you give to someone who sought it. And we're going to be talking a lot more about that in just a second. Number four, forgiveness is a commitment. Back to the definition, it's a commitment to do two things. It's a commitment to pardon graciously the repentant person and to be reconciled to that person. And we're going to explore that a whole lot as we conclude. We're going to go through a document called Seeking and Granting Forgiveness that just kind of practically shows you this is step-by-step what it should look like if you're seeking forgiveness. Well, the next question, why is forgiveness necessary? Why do we have to do this? Can't we just say I'm sorry and move on? God desires to restore relationships that were broken by sin. And when you think of what God did so that we could be restored to him, you know how concerned he is about broken relationships. We were separated from him because of our sin. And we couldn't do anything about it. So the one who had been offended, he needed to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that there would be a way that he could then forgive us. Doesn't seem very fair, does it? We sin against him. He has to come up with a solution so that we can be forgiven for our sin against him. But that's what God did because he values restoring broken relationships. Forgiveness pardons a person of their debt and it removes barriers that stand in the way to the kind of relationship that God desires. Psalm 133 says this, Behold, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. God longs for that in our relationships. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God desires to restore broken 
relationships. Another reason why forgiveness is necessary is forgiveness imitates the love and forgiveness of God. 1 Peter 4, 8, there's several verses in your notes, so you can look those up. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And of course, Ephesians 4, 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. One more reason why forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is commanded by God. Forgiveness is commanded by God. We've looked at Ephesians 4.32 probably about five, six, seven, eight times, but verse 31, just this, this is the opposite side of it. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And then the replacement comes in. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. But probably the most challenging command of forgiveness is found in Luke 17, where we read these verses. I think it was Peter coming up to Jesus. He asked about forgiveness, and Jesus said, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. And I just want you to know, uh, uh, actually, never mind, we'll move on. The truth about forgiveness is this, something for you to just understand and for you to think on and ponder no matter how much you might forgive someone else, your forgiveness of others will never come close to the massive level that you've been forgiven by your holy God. That's the key point, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, that drive that point home very strong. Number four, why is forgiveness necessary? It's a matter of obedience. Because it's commanded, it's a matter of obedience. It's not a choice that God gives us to make in response to how we feel at the day. I, 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 let's see, should I forget? I don't think so. Or, yeah, I think I'll do that today. I feel like forgiving. No, it's a command, and it's up to us to obey or disobey. God takes his commands very seriously. Deuteronomy 5.33 says this, You shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. God gives us commands and he expects us to obey them. But what's beautiful about our God is all of commands, all of his commands, they're for our good. Isn't that an awesome God? He gives us commands and says, follow them. And when we follow them, we'll experience the best for our lives. That's a wonderful God. Well, what will forgiveness cost me? What will forgiveness cost me? 
It's important to count the cost. Luke 9.23 says this. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So what will it cost? I must humbly submit to God as my righteous judge. And I'm going to go through these quickly. And as I submit to God as my righteous judge, no longer wearing the judge's robes, I take them off to say, God is the judge. He's called me to live a life of love toward others. I must choose to give the gift of forgiveness to the one who offended me. That's what it will cost me. I need to give the expensive gift of forgiveness to the one who offended me. As the definition that Chris gave says, it's a commitment by the offended person to pardon graciously the repentant person for moral liability. There's nothing between us anymore. I hold nothing against you. Question for you. Knowing how extremely expensive the gift of granting forgiveness truly is, how should this impact the person seeking forgiveness? I want you to just take a minute at your table to think on that question. Knowing how extremely expensive the gift of forgiveness is, how should this impact the person seeking forgiveness? Just give you a minute or two to talk about that. I hate to stop this conversation because it sounds so good hearing you talk about this, but what are some words that you would describe or that you were talking about your table that would just briefly explain uh, what you talked about? How should this impact the person seeking forgiveness, knowing how expensive that gift is? How does it impact the person seeking forgiveness? What did you say around your tables? Humility. Okay. It should be very humbling knowing I'm asking for an expensive gift. What else? Serious. And by that, what do you mean? Okay. It's a commandment. Okay. And I think seriously is probably the word that came to my mind. It's like I'm asking for a very expensive gift. I don't want them to have any doubt that I'm sincere that I'm serious about this. Well, number three, God's forgiveness requires me to graciously imitate God's forgiveness of me. And I want to just read a passage. This will be story time with Dave. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. It's a powerful passage of scripture. And I don't know, I think you it might read it and you might find yourself mad at this servant. But hopefully you'll realize, oh, wow, that servant is me. That servant is, let me just read it. Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And even that, it wasn't 77 times. He was basically saying, Peter, don't count. Just do it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. 
So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Powerful passage, isn't it? So some takeaways. First of all, some have estimated that the unmerciful servant's debt was the equivalent of 200,000 years of wages. Not real simple to repay, right? 200,000 years of wages. It's also estimated that the amount that was owed by the person the unmerciful servant choked was the equivalent of three months of wages. So put that together. I'm kind of a math geek. One eight hundred thousandth of what he'd been forgiven, he choked another man over. So often we do that in our relationships here. Just think of God's forgiveness of us each and every day. We sin against him every single day, hourly. We have selfish thoughts. We don't think of him. We are rude to others. We're inconsiderate. We offend our holy God constantly. And yet sometimes for one sin that a person does against us, we're no longer talking to them. We no longer have anything to do with them. And until they do check off all the boxes, we're not going to even consider forgiving them. Well, failing to forgive... uh, Another takeaway from this passage, the experience of God's massive forgiveness requires that we forgive others, and failing to forgive reveals one of two significant problems. Either we don't truly understand the magnitude of God's forgiveness, or we haven't truly experienced the massive forgiveness that God has offered. Well, one other cost I must commit to the ongoing process of living out forgiveness. Granting forgiveness is not one and done. It requires you to live out. And just an example of this is there are many times I deal with situations of unfaithfulness. And in situations of unfaithfulness, there are memories that come to the mind of the offender repeatedly. The name of the person comes up in their mind. Or a circumstance comes up that reminds them of the pain that they went through. And it's like they're reliving it over and over again. When those painful thoughts come and it comes at the most random of times, 
At those times, it's important for the person to take every thought obedient to Christ and to apply the forgiveness that they've already, reapply the forgiveness that they've already granted. I've forgiven them. This is a bad memory, but I've forgiven that sin. It's past, it's put away, they're pardoned. I'm dealing with pain, and oftentimes couples will share. The person who's been hurt like that will share, today was a bad day. Today was a bad day. This was the anniversary of when that happened, and I'm just kind of struggling today. And the person graciously ministers to the heart of the person that they had hurt. They're not asking forgiveness again. They're acknowledging that, yeah, with that sin, there are some residual hurts that they have to live with. Well, let's move on to the next point. If I can turn these pages. Finally, I must abandon unbiblical responses to the offenses that I've experienced. I'll set aside any responses that would dishonor God, and you see them up on the screen. I will set aside responses of bitterness, a refusal to live out one another's of Scripture, stirring up factions, divisions, withholding ministry, letting the relationship stay broken with no attempt to reconcile it, and additional sinful behaviors that can arise out of the already broken relationship. Well, I'm not going to go through the when I should forgive because I want to, um, I want to move on to the seeking and granting forgiveness, but I'll just go through the basic outline. When should I forgive? When there's genuine repentance. Does the person display typical characteristics of a genuinely repentant individual? And there's characteristics of a genuinely repentant individual. Has God used the following means to bring about and sustain genuine repentance in the individual? And again, a list of three things that God uses to bring about repentance. And finally, am I seeing biblical self-evaluation uh, as a characteristic of the repentant person? Is that person asking these important questions? But I want to close this part of the session by going through a document called Seeking Granting Forgiveness. <clears throat> it's kind of forgiveness for dummies. Okay? If I were going to seek forgiveness from someone, what should I make sure is part of it? A person seeking forgiveness, it's, this is an outline that you could follow. It's important, first of all, to acknowledge that you've sinned against the person you've offended. Let the person know that you're very aware that you sinned against him or her. An example of this, and it's a really minor offense. I cut you off in mid-sentence as you were trying to explain why you were so upset. That was wrong for me to do. And then move on to identify the specific sins that were involved. Using specific biblical terminology... Acknowledge that in your words, your actions, your attitudes, you sin against God and against that person. An example of that would be pertaining to cutting someone off at mid-sentence. I was more concerned about telling you what I thought than listening to what you had to say. In doing so, I was disrespectful, sin, inconsiderate, sin, unkind, sin, selfish, sin, proud, sin. Isn't amazing? Cutting someone off at mid-sentence can involve a minimum of five sins. 
Just cutting someone off in mid-sentence can involve a number of sins. Then you acknowledge the harm your offense caused. Acknowledge and show genuine remorse for the harm, hurt that resulted from your sin. I'm so sorry for the many ways my sin impacted you. I didn't come close to treating you as God would have wanted me to treat you. And then you move on to identify alternative biblical behaviors to demonstrate your repentance. I'm not going to do that anymore. Let the person know that you've thought about a more biblical approach. I should have listened to you carefully and respectfully as you were sharing what was on your heart. With God's help and yours, I'm going to actively work to become the kind of listener God wants me to be. And then you're ready to ask for forgiveness. You put the ball in their court, so to speak, and use the four words, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Then it puts it in the hands of the other person. And there's three promises that the forgiver needs to be prepared to make as they grant forgiveness. These are the three promises. I will not dwell on what you have done and how it has impacted me. I'm no longer going to do that. I will not bring up what you have done to use it against you. I won't do that with you. I won't do it with others. And I want you to know that any mention of the past offense will be for the purpose of helping the relationship. Here's just an example. Hey, honey, I just don't know that I'm ready for you to go on a business trip because it was on a business trip that you fell. I'd I'd rather you not. That's not using the offense as a club against them. It's saying, based on what's happened, the thing that I've forgiven you for, I just don't think it would be a good idea right now. I'm not ready for it. I'm not sure you're ready for it. Hopefully that makes sense. And then finally, the final promise, I will not let what you have done stand between us or hinder our relationship. I'm ready for our relationship to grow once again. There's results of biblical forgiveness. First of all, Our lack of forgiveness or our lack of seeking forgiveness puts a wall between us and our God. That's broken down. But seeking and granting forgiveness breaks walls between the person who has been offended and the person who's granted forgiveness. Um, Because the person who's been offended and the person who is offended. I'm hoping as you've listened to this, as you've thought about this, the thoughts have come to your mind of what relationships need to be mended that I'm in? Who are the people I need to go to and say, will you please forgive me? And who are the people that I've refused to forgive because in my pride, I didn't want to let go? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your wonderful forgiveness. Unconditional, extravagant, as far as the East is from the West, and you give it to us immediately when we ask for it. What kind of God would do that, only you. We thank you for the teaching that you've given us, the model that you've given us, and I pray that you will stir in our hearts, stir in the hearts of these people, that if there are relationships that need to be mended, that they will take those steps. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you, David. Oh, Chris and I are sitting there, phones blowing up. This affects every one of us, right, Chris? Ouch. Check. 
Is it on? Hello. Yes. Yes. Ouch. You know, isn't this hard? Hey, David, uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, that was a gold mine of information. I-, I challenge you. You know, it's easy for us to stick this somewhere in our Bible or notes, get home, throw it away. I- I'd encourage you to sit down, go through this again. That was a gold mine of information. Uh, that last thing about three promises of a forgiver, I'm literally thinking, I'm going to write that somewhere in my office because I think that right there solves so much. So I got a couple questions. Um, one of the things that I love is a good story. I love seeing some of the courtroom dramas that get emphasized, you know, and you, you see somebody stand up and they have their chance to speak against the, the uh, person who offended or, 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 or did something. And every once in a while you see these stories where uh, a person who uh, may have lost a loved one in a crime or something will say something like, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm choosing to forgive you. It's so countercultural. Let me ask you this, is forgiveness ever foolish? No, <laughs> because that would be like saying, is following God's commands foolish? Um, now, I, I guess on the flip side, there may be someone out there, there's probably these people whose minds are racing, going, but what if they're not really sincere? And that's when I look at our God is the righteous judge. He knows the hearts. And if they have sought forgiveness, asked for forgiveness, and they weren't sincere, that's a big thing between them and their God, and I can rest in that. You know, there's a section of Scripture, and, and I'm blanking on exactly where it is, but it's in the New Testament. As much as it's dependent upon you. Romans twelve eighteen. Thank you. Uh, live at peace with one another. I like that because it means that there's times uh, the other person may not choose that, but as much as it's dependent upon me, I have a responsibility. Yeah, it says, if possible, as far as it depends on you. There's a whole lot of conditions there. Live at peace with all men. Yeah, do what you can. And we have a thing at NBCC, we talk about concerns and responsibilities. Deal with your responsibilities. I'm responsible to seek peace. Now, can I make it happen? No. It, absolutely. Angie uh, got a ton of messages, but I got one more uh, that I want to ask. Um, you know, we grew up in a culture that my parents would tell me, hey, forgive and forget. Okay, forgiving is one thing. Forgetting is another thing. Uh, how, speak to us just briefly about the forgetting side of things. Like, can we forget? Is it okay that we don't forget? I mean, where, where's that balance in forgiveness when it comes to forgetting? Okay. Defense? Great question, and I always like to look at it this way. Uh, How many of you would say that David was forgiven for what he did with Bathsheba? Okay. Does God forget that? It depends on how you define forget. He doesn't think on it anymore. He doesn't dwell on it anymore. But I started thinking of this as I was reading my Bible and seeing all the sin that's strewn throughout the scriptures. If God forgets sins, then there's a whole lot of scripture that he doesn't know that I know. But no, he doesn't hold it against us anymore. And that would be, I think, the idea of forgetting. It's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not dwelling on that. I'm not letting that define the relationship. That's something that's been forgiven. So what I remember is I forgave that. So 
Um, I just want to put um, you guys' mind at ease that have asked questions that we are going to address some of these tomorrow, and we definitely... Based on the number, it might be a four-hour podcast, <laughs> so just be ready. I said, this is this, not one of us in here can walk away saying this doesn't affect me, but this is a really good question, and I want you to kind of um, maybe build on this. Does God forgive us when we do not confess? Should we forgive others who have not confessed? And I think that's a tremendous question. And I believe we need to follow the pattern that God has given us. 1 John 1.9 says what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe that God's forgiveness for us, it's always there. I always like to compare it to like... At the doorway, you've wrapped up the gift of forgiveness and you're just eager for them to show up so that you can give it to them. I think that's kind of how God is with us. I want to give it to them, but I can't give it to them unless they ask for it. And he's thrilled when he can. And that should be our attitude. It shouldn't be, well, I'll think about it when they come to me. No, I've thought about it and I'm eager. I'm eager to give them that forgiveness. So the answer would be, no, it's a transaction. I can't truly give that gift of forgiveness unless they ask for it. So let's um, break down this idea of forgiveness versus reconciliation. Are they hand in hand? How does that look? Yeah, that's a great question. We have to deal with this in the counseling room uh, consistently. I almost said all the time again. Um, But we oftentimes say this, forgiveness is immediate, trust has to be rebuilt. And the wonderful stories, I see the most wonderful stories are when the person who's offended goes to great lengths and asks themselves, what can I do? Is there something else that I can do? And they gladly do whatever it takes to rebuild that trust, understanding it's going to take time. It's going to take time. So in that, how do we engage in the process of forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration if there is an absence of humility, empathy, sincerity, or changed behavior? What happens when somebody else, or even both, where's the accountability in the reconciliation and changing of behavior when it comes to forgiveness? Wow, that's loaded. You didn't realize you're going to be on the hot seat. <laughs> Nor did we. Yeah. But that that can involve your church leadership yes. because you may have to go to leadership and say, "I've done everything I know how to to have this person address these things." And there's a thing called church discipline, which is in Matthew 18, right before the unmerciful servant passage that deals with that. So there is that, but there needs to be, I think, a longing where. Rather than anger that they're not seeing it, it's a longing for them to see it. And maybe continued confrontation. Say, I don't think you're truly understanding what you've done. But you can't control that. You can just keep on speaking. But if you see that there's a hardened heart, it sometimes involves bringing the leadership. And the leadership can lovingly, gently come up to the person and say, hey, there's something we need to talk about. So in this whole um, idea of forgiveness and speaking and asking, is um, 
does forgiveness have to be spoken aloud to the other person or can it be done internally by oneself? Thank you for the question. <laughs> I, believe, I believe it does need to be spoken. How will the person know? Again, that goes back to the Hills way. No, we don't speak. We just do it by our actions. No, have your words, have your actions be accompanied with words or words accompanied with actions. Now, if I had to choose, say, please forgive me, or I, please forgive me, or I forgive you, um, and then nothing happens, or not saying the words and having something wonderful happen, I'd say have something wonderful happen, but how about both? Verbalize it and live it out. That's, I believe, the biblical pattern. And you might say, well, has God done that? Well, he's already guaranteed it in writing. If you confess your sins, I'll forgive you, and I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's a promise. So I think some of this um, is coming through in the questions. What happens when you have this gift of forgiveness, but the person isn't necessarily repentant or asking for forgiveness? I think you addressed this a little bit in the therapeutic, um, of what therapeutic forgiveness, how does this play out? Do we, how does it work out for the person that has been offended or even, you know, dealing with, I want to offer this person forgiveness, but do you still forgive even though they're not repentant? And again, it, the whole idea of forgiveness is something that you are giving to someone. So the most you can do is long for the privilege, long for the opportunity. I keep coming back to the having it right by the doorway and hoping they ring the doorbell and say, I just, I just want to repent. I want to ask your forgiveness. And oh, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for the opportunity to give this gift. It's been sitting here, because I didn't want to be bitter. I knew that if I dwelled on it, I'd become bitter. So I set it here, and I've been longing to give you this gift. And so that should be the attitude. And when it comes to, sometimes you no longer have the chance. In this room, I'm sure that there's some of you that were hurt by someone who's no longer here, and they never made it right with you. What do I do with that? I just simply say, God, if I'd have had the opportunity to give this, I would have loved to have the opportunity to give this to them because they need it so desperately, and I never had that chance to do so. So it's a mourning, it's a loss of something that you wish you could have done, but they didn't allow you to do it. Uh, can I speak as a pastor for a moment? Your pastor for a moment? Uh, sure, I can because I have the microphone. Uh, so here's the deal. I want to speak as your pastor for a moment. <laughs> Uh, you know, many times we make confrontation and conflict out to be this massive thing in our minds that, you know, we dread, we get physically ill because we, we're, we're dreading a confrontation. Can I just encourage us, when it comes to this topic of forgiveness, the same is true. We get this thing, this inner workings, man, we feel sick to our stomach, we get anxious, we get all this pressure. But, but once you sit down and you deal with forgiveness with somebody who's offended you, you know what the beautiful thing is? I would say very, very safely, more times than not, restoration is made, restitution is made, forgiveness is granted, peace floods your heart, floods your mind, floods your soul, and you usually walk away saying, I wasn't as bad as I made it out to be. 
you know what? What would be different? This isn't even a question. I'm just saying, what would be different if we, as followers of Jesus, lived a life of forgiveness? What impact? Because forgiveness is countercultural. What impact on discipleship, on communicating uh, the truth of who Jesus is with a community who's looking at a church, a group that says, a bunch of hypocrites. What impact would it have if we lived lives of forgiveness? My goodness. My goodness, I can't even begin to imagine the changes that would happen if people saw us as grace givers instead of finger pointers. I just, I'm challenged by that. And you know, I, I just want to say one more thing, uh, and then I'll be quiet. Here, here's, the, here's the thing. You know, this home series has built. It, it, it went from uh, health and wellness, anxiety and depression. It went to grief addiction, technology, it went to sexual impurity this last week. You know, I think of all of those which are massive topics in and of themselves, frankly, this one's probably the hardest. I think it's the hardest because it it requires humility. Uh, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, Austin, but he said something at our table I thought was really good. He said, really, this idea of forgiveness requires double humility. It, re- it requires humility on those being asking, asking forgiveness, but it also requires humility on the giver of forgiveness. And I thought that was an excellent point. So we're called to live humble lives. And what if we model that? The impact is incredible, David. And uh, I'm, I'm challenged. I'm challenged. Hopefully you are. You know, in a church this size, in a gathering this size, and those of you who are listening online at a, at a later point, I just challenge you to ask yourself this question. Who, I, quite likely in this last hour, the Lord's put somebody on your heart and you're like, never going to do it. Mm-mm. Yeah, not going to do it. You might even got the cold sweats, you know, and you're like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Hey, can I challenge you? Take the step. Take the step. You'll be better. You'll, you'll be, I think you'll live at greater peace uh, if you offer forgiveness. I think it plays out in our homes and our families and our lives so much. And God can change all of us to be more like him through this process of forgiveness because he forgave us first. So David, let's talk a little bit about what you do every day from Monday to Saturday in this um, building up in Osceola and how we partner with you. And um, Chris and I and the staff, we believe in Michiana Biblical Counseling Center Let's say somebody says, hey, I may need to go the next step. I may need to talk with somebody. Talk to me about how that happens. What you do is you either, you can go to messianabcc.org, and if you don't have that, don't know how to spell Messiana, you can call them, they'll tell you. Um, But messianabcc.org, and on there, there's a contact uh, form. You can request an application packet. That's the first step to get counseling. You, we send you an application packet. You send it back to us, and it basically we ask you to share what are you going through, what are you struggling with, and when are you available to meet. And then our counseling director, Deanna Doctor, gets in touch with you and sets something up. Our, our church has created a partnership with Michiana Biblical Counseling Center, and if you know anything about counseling right now, you know that counseling is expensive. Let me just tell you, this we have made a way, and through the partnership with them and through their partnership with us, we've made a way where counseling is very affordable. So don't let money say, I bet I can't do this. Get the help you need. Right, and you guys work with marriages, men's, women's, all the different, um, everything. As, As I said to her early, if the Bible speaks to it, we deal with it. 
okay? And the Bible speaks to everything. So, um, so yeah, that's... Eh. Now, just want, you know, there are some things where we say, you know, we're not equipped for that. There are some people who need 168-hour-a-week care. Sorry, not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not 168. We're not a residential facility. There are residential facilities. There are also some uh, physical addictions that we're not equipped well to deal with. And so there are those limitations. But if the Bible speaks to it, if there are spiritual issues related to it, we'd love to talk to you and help you. David, thank you. Hey, would you thank him for being here? We want to wrap up today. Yeah. Uh, Very powerful, very powerful words. Uh, I encourage you, like I said, take them home. uh, Relook at these notes. These are are important things. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you uh, for a topic that has stepped on many toes in this room, mine included. This area of forgiveness requires humility, and God, I pray you humble us. God, would you speak to our hearts about those who need forgiveness from us? And God, would you speak to our hearts about those we need to ask forgiveness from? God, work in us, change us, transform us. Help us not just go through these motions just to go through some motion. God, help us to put into practice your truths of Scripture and the truth surrounding this topic of forgiveness. Thank you for David. Thank you for his ministry. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to be here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At Home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting wakimc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C.org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening.